This is the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is Mike Geldart, founder and CEO of GRD Biomechanics. His company manufactures a new advanced knee brace that uses 3D scanning and printing technology. He graduated in 2018 with a degree in mechanical engineering. Mike, thanks for visiting us today. Thanks, Alan. Uh, so first of all, your company is called GRD Biomechanics. What does GRD stand for? So GRD is sort of a, it's, it's really two things. So um, it stands technically for Geldart Research and Development, but it's also a play on my last name, Geldart, and my two middle names. So it sort of just all fit. Okay. Uh, you formed the company in 2017, is that right? That's correct. So that's before you graduated. And I saw that you also won an undergraduate design competition for, for your knee brace. That's correct. Uh, tell me about the timing of that. How did you uh, did you come up with this design as part of like a student club or a capstone project or was this totally outside of Embry-Riddle? So it was totally outside of Embry-Riddle initially. Um, I kind of came up with the tech originally in 2014, never had any uh, commercial aspirations for it. Not really anything. It was just more a fun summer basement project. Um, and kind of just played around with it. I thought it'd be really cool to have a patent to my name. And I always kind of had the aspiration ever since I've been growing up to own my own company or do something in sort of tech and, you know, engineering, inventorship, that, that type of thing. So it really got put on the back burner, um, got into Embry-Riddle in 2015, got bogged down with the traditional engineering course load and it got pushed back. And I was at an industry luncheon and I ended up meeting a couple of people from the Cairns Innovation Challenge and they happened to mention off the cuff. Um, they were talking to us on one of the clubs that I was involved in at the time, the NASA Robotic Mining Competition actually. And um, he'd mentioned to me, he's like, do you guys have any tech that would be commer commercializable? And on the particular club, we didn't. Um, but I kind of thought about this knee brace project that had been sitting in my the back of my house or whatever for a while so i said you know um on a whim what the hell let's 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 try entering it and see what happens and i ended up winning the competition and we got a year in the ucf incubation program uh they gave us ten thousand dollar prize to help develop it so that really sort of kicked off the 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 project and then sort of on a more timeline perspective i sort of entered that was my junior year entered my senior year uh, for those people familiar with uh, the engineering coursework, you have to pick a senior design project. I had some really good um, professors that I was close to. They were really starting to build up the biomechanics program. I pitched this to as a development project. Uh, let's go out and get clinical validation. Let's go get some physicians involved that we can really drive this thing forward. Um, so uh, th those were Dr. Jorge Mave and, uh, Eduardo and Dr. Eduardo Devo. They really, really helped me kind of put it into a senior design project. Um, we developed it over a course of a year. You know, we were able to do, uh, we were able to partner with the soccer teams on campus to do a real, to get, you know, 20 athletes wearing this thing to do a real clinical validation to really look at, you know, what is the, the true medical effectiveness of this product? Um, we did that and that in, in turn, we entered it into this competition, that's an international competition in Ireland um, they got over a hundred or 50 submissions and we were one of the six that, um, the American society of mechanical engineers and the NSF picked to actually send to Ireland for the finals. Um, and we were fortunate enough to, to win internationally. So that was, was great to bring home the, the title for the, the school, little aeronautical school. Everybody was wondering, you know, what is a pilot school entering a, a medical device competition? And, 
uh, we ended up surprising everybody. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so you've had this kicking around in your head for, well, six years or so now. Right. Um, wh what is it that, you, how did you come up with the idea in the first place? Why was this a need? So um, the need, no pun intended here. Uh, <laughs> no, right, right. Bad, bad engineering. Oh, I'm, I'm a dad to a couple of small <laughs> kids, so I super appreciate the, the bad puns. I, I figured that into all the other dads listening to the podcast. Um, so I actually, I grew up in car racing, racing cars and high-performance go-karts, and I busted my knee in a racing accident. Um had, went through surgery, rehab, and was just like, you know, there's really got to be a better way to do this. And I always kind of had lingering pains. I said, well, you know, it'd be cool to invent something for my knee. You know, hey, it, it worked for Tony Stark in the cave, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that was kind of the, that was the, the initial understanding and intention. And, you know, one thing led to another and developing it. And from a, from a technology standpoint, the original idea was... Um, for those of you who own a hatchback vehicle um, or are familiar with an elevator or how an elevator works, there's a counterbalance, right? So, you know, there's a gas shock or a counterweight that that makes the that takes something that's extremely heavy and without adding additional power, right, allows you allows it allows it to go through its range of motion a little bit simpler, right? So a little bit mm. less effort. I mean, if you've if you took the gas shocks off your your car hatchback, or you remove the the counterbalance on an elevator, it would be very very heavy to move. It would pretty much be impractical. So that was kind of the idea was, hey, we this works in other areas and other machinery. Um, the the uh, the knee is a is is a complex joint and has mul multiple degrees of freedom, but you know it it is similar to a hinge so i said why why wouldn't it work right you know wh what do what do i have to lose by trying it i'm going to learn more from this project than i would from a, a a lot of engineering classes so um that was kind of the original concept behind it and being able to develop the spring and then figuring out um you know what materials to try to use within the spring system and then the the biggest challenge that we've dealt with kind of over the last two years developing the product is the the fit and feel um, everybody's leg is a little bit different it has to be really comfortable it has to be easy to use it has to be able to be taken on and taken off very very quickly otherwise people people don't want to use it so okay so uh, I've never used a knee brace myself so I'm, I'm totally like I only have a vague understanding of you know uh, what that they're help they help to recover from uh, knee injuries right my Sort of the only image I have of a knee brace is like Forrest Gump uh, when he had sure. polio, right? Um, so do all of them that, are, that exist out in the world, do they all have a spring assist or is this a unique uh, feature to yours? This is really a unique feature to ours. So what, what we're going about doing is solving the, the problem in a fundamentally different way. Um, our, our motto at the company is, our tagline for the company is Mobility Evolved. And really what we mean by that is... Um, helping you get back to doing what you love and then removing the painful barriers in the process of doing that. So that's, that's really at our core belief and our core mission and everything that we do at GRD. Um, from a traditional knee bracing perspective, really what it boils down to is a rigid frame. So uh, the first types of knee braces were sort of invented and came mainstream in like the early, the mid 1960s and the technology other than a paint job and 
the use of Velcro strapping, maybe a little bit of neoprene hasn't really changed. Um, mm. Kind of crazy to think about that compared to automotive technology and computer technology. Right. It's been decade, almost half a century. Right. So it's really, it's, it's basically a rigid frame. It's designed to, you know, and, you know, you can kind of, if you, from a, from, from the knee standpoint, it kind of moves, you can kind of move your knee side to side a little bit. It can twist a little bit. So really what it's doing is helping sort of limit the range of motion or the degrees of freedom, um, so to speak of the actual, of, of the actual knee joint. Whereas what we are is targeting the muscles because we have, we know, and there's been multiple research studies that most of what orthopedic rehab is, is strengthening the muscles in a certain way. So that way it reduces the load on the tendons, the different ligaments that are in the joint and also helping the patient become less quad dominant, which we know leads to, um, a bunch of different injuries and can affect the tracking of the kneecap and, and so forth. So. Okay. So tell me about the, why is it important that your spring is nonlinear? Good question. So with, with a linear spring, um, without trying to dive too, too deep into tech, tech, uh, without, without trying to drive, you know, too, too technically, too technical here. Um, basically what happens with a linear spring is you end up spending all of this effort. It, the spring gets stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and takes more and more force to either stretch or compress the spring, depending on what, what type of spring it is. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge with that is um, that's not really how we use our knees. Our knees are very, they're very dynamic items, right? So we, we stand up and we sit down and we do, squ you know, we do a, a squatting motion th uh, effectively. We climb stairs you know, we, we sit in a chair like we're sitting in now and we have our knees bent, you know, so, so comfort. So the challenge is, is if you have something, it's sort of like getting on a weight machine or resistance machine. So every time that you're, yeah, you're going to get the benefit, um, standing up, but it doesn't really help you if you're sitting down, your knees are bent for a period of time. You know, you, when you climb stairs, you, you bend your knee to about a 90 degree angle, and then you sort of gently contact the, um, the 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 step and then lift off so really the the idea was to sort of mimic the motion of a compound bow or the easiest way to explain the technology is sort of um for those of you who are familiar with a diving board um you 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 have a movable fulcrum effectively on a diving board and um it would be equivalent as when you would jump down, you would move the fulcrum all the way back so it would compress the spring a lot with a minimal amount of effort. And then when you are um, jumping off or when you want to transfer all that momentum, all that stored potential energy into the, the diver, you would move the fulcrum forward so it actually transfers, so it transfers all the load. So I uh, hope I didn't bore anyone to sleep there with all the technical <laughs> details. Um, no, so, so you're getting, it's, it's easier to compress the spring, but then it, it gives more of the energy at the initial motion mm -hmm. of it. Is that what you're saying? Right. So in a nutshell, essentially it's, it's easier to compress. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you want the spring to be really stiff, which is when you're expended, you know, which is when you're standing up from a squat, standing up from a chair, you know, ascending a set of stairs, even descending in some cases, um, then all, then the spring becomes stiff. So. Okay. 
Well, so you mentioned, uh, you know, getting clinical validation. Um, right. It, was was that a uh, is that something that you can get globally, or is that something you have to go like country by country? Because uh, you mentioned that uh, for your uh, design competition in Dublin, I believe. Yes. Uh, so, did you uh, was that something that you got during that design competition? Was that part of that, or is it? Uh, well, well, at that point, you know, the, the idea was I'm in my senior year of college. If, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do this, this is, this is, this is going to be a project. We're going to have commercial op- applications. We're going to go out and sell this. So, um, the, in, the initial thing that we said was, well, the, here's the funny thing, right? So a knee brace is classified as a medical device, mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is, is there's really no regulations or that for that matter, a lot of clinical validation on whether these help, we know they don't hurt, but whether they help, hinder, you know, whatever, um, they there's not a lot of clinical validation. It's not required by the FDA. Um, okay. So it's very, very low priority. So we said, okay, well, our competitive advantage is, um, you know, we met with a group of orthopedic surgeons and at Orlando Health. We said, okay, what, what would make you guys want to buy in? And they said, well, we want to see clinical validation and we want to see it works. Okay, we can go do that. Um, so that that was kind of the initial sort of tee off point um, from that to answer your question about globally. I mean, typically everybody's a little bit different. Right. But typically, if there's been a study, you know, proving the validity of something in, um, you know, Ireland or England or the UAE, for instance, Typically, you know, it's recognized as, it, it, it's recognized in an academic sense. I mean, everybody's a little bit mm-hmm. different on how they interpret things, but from a true regulatory standpoint, it, it doesn't matter, at least in the U.S. Okay, so you get the you you do the uh, you do the clinical testing, and you get sort of evidence that it works, and uh, regulatory bodies tend to respect that. Well, right, and I mean, from a from a regulatory standpoint, at least in the U.S., it's you're basically just proving, hey, this is similar to what is currently available in the market. And um, yes, it doesn't hurt. But from an FDA standpoint, um, we're not required to produce any clinical validation. It was for us, it was more, we're going to be the best product in the market. We're going to be the disruptor. We're going to do things differently. We're going to really, really make something that works. Um, And we're going to show this scientifically that, hey, this actually works. So you're, uh, you have a lot of experience in robotics and industrial automation, uh, including uh, you did uh, research at Kennedy Space Center um, into uh, industrial automation. Uh, is that right? That is correct, yes. What, uh, does that help inform what uh, the manufacturing processes uh, with, with this device? You know, I think it does. Um, it's, you know, designing for robotics and designing for medical are very different, but at the core you know, the engineering design principles of this are the same. So, you know, understanding how to put out a set of requirements, how to, um, you know, make decisions based off of data is actually something I use in the business sense because most of my job is is less technical nowadays and more in the business and financial world, uh, which is where I, where I really spend most of my time now. Um, so I, I, I would say yes. Um, it, it's definitely good to have a foundation of how different, you know, automated manufacturing systems work and things like that. But really, I think it's more about, you know, 
understanding the basics of engineering, how to solve the problem and being able to make decisions based off of data. Okay. What is the, what is the device made out of? So good question. Um, so right now it's a 3d printed device and it is a nylon carbon fiber hybrid material. Okay. Is that, uh, so you you have uh, presumably then some 3D printers and you make them uh, sort of one by one uh, here in Daytona Beach? See, that that is very true. So now that we're sort of cranking up into sales and we're mainstream manufacturing, um, you know, 3D 3D printing is wonderful it is it, as, as it is. It is a slow process, at least for nowadays. So we've actually are moving a lot of the manufacturing to a CNC machining based material. So we go from 10 hours to produce a part down to down to one hour. Um, so that was kind of Monday and Tuesday this week. We got a new CNC machine delivered. Um, we couldn't get it in the building. So we had to have glass <laughs> people come. They had to remove part of the wall. We had to have a crane company come in. So we were like coordinating three different subcontractors at the same time. So that was the, the adventure that was uh, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a big challenge. Yeah. But now you'll be able to ramp up manufacturing a little bit and save some of that time. Right, exactly. <clears throat> um, so you're a mechanical engineering major, but you clearly have business chops if you're able to find funding for a company with a, uh, you know, uh, was it nine person staff? Um, right. And how did you come about that set of business skills? So, um, one, I think, you know, mechanical engineering is a really, really good foundation degree just because, one, you get comfortable with an intense workload, you know, you learn, you learn to prioritize really, really well. <laughs> um, uh, kind of, this is important. This is not, which is really kind of what leadership is all about is sort of, you know, what, or particularly leading a startup company is we don't have enough time and we don't have enough money to do everything mm -hmm. perfect. So we really have to figure out what are we going to do? Well, um, as far as the technical business skills, um, for anyone listening, that is a technical background, it's, it's learnable. Um, we were fortunate enough, we were part of the Starter Studio program, which is here on campus. It's run through the Micaplex. So they really kind of put us through um, boot camp, essentially, on how to run a startup company. So everything from how to pitch to investors, how to build a deck, how to craft what's called the value proposition. So, you know, what is it that we offer the customer? Why is it different? And why should the customer spend their money on us? Um, really how to understand the market, how big is the market? How do you, how do you, how do you understand the needs of the customer, which is really kind of the foundation question that you have to answer and you have to know that down pat, um, for sales, investor, investorship, whatever. Um, you, you those are the things you really have to understand, but, um, starter studio program really helped us a lot. Uh, we got connected with our, uh, the venture capital group that's backing us now through the, through that program. All right. Well, so that's clearly one of the advantages of then being set up here at Embry-Riddle's uh, Micoplex. It is. And you, you wouldn't think about, you know, we all know Silicon Valley is sort of the tech headquarters um, and really wasn't about 10 years ago, but really in the last five to six years in the, the Orlando area in particular, there's really been a, a bump in this sort of startup technology scene, uh, particularly with with the Starter Studio program, there were a few companies that made some exits that were that kind of jump started the process here. So um, it's really helped, and a lot of that has spilled over to Daytona. Embry Riddle was good. Um, 
forward thinking enough to kind of pick up on those trends, kind of figure out, you know, how do we get those resources there? Because when you're going from a, a lab project to a business is it's, it's its own project in itself. And it really, there's quite a lot of transition um, that happens there. And not only do you have to understand the funding, but really the biggest kind of disconnect is um, people who invent things or people who kind of work on a lot of research-based projects, they kind of understand the need and the problem that they're solving, but they don't really understand the customer, the needs of the customer, how to deliver it to the customer, understand what competitors are in the market that could prevent you from being there. And also importantly, figuring out what, you know, what, what is it that make, makes my offering unique and how do I also prevent uh, the other company? So and the next company down the road saying, well, you guys are making all this money. I'm going to stand, stand this up and do it, do it better. Or I'm going to, uh, you know, in our market particularly, we compete against billion dollar companies. So what prevents them from, you know, taking what we have and, and, and going to market with it and beating us with it. So. Right. Right. Um, is that your, uh, ultimate goal is uh, to either beat them or to get bought out. <laughs> Have you thought that far, uh, that far out? Well, I mean, if any of them are listening and want to buy us <laughs> out, um, our address is 482 Fentress Boulevard, and I can manage to clear some <laughs> time on my schedule for that. But in all seriousness, um, you know, both of those are great, but they're really results. So rather than focusing on the result, you know, I've always learned from my racing days, um, A times B equals results. So A is what I can control and B is what I can't control. Um, so we always, and I tell all my team, hey, we're going to focus on our can control. We're going to focus on performance, which is number one, building the best device in the market, being able to efficiently manufacture um, the best device in the market and sell this to as many very, very happy customers that want to advocate for our product as possible. So that's really kind of the the scope of what we do. Now there's a lot of other stuff that go. That's the, the the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other goes down. But really, from a strategy standpoint, you know, we've I've always pushed. Hey, we're going to focus on performance, and um, this is this is this is the way we're going to run. So your uh, your experience in motorsport is sort of what drew you to Embry Riddle in the first place. Is that uh, the motorsports track uh, here in the mechanical engineering department? But then you switched over to biomechanics. Uh, tell me about how that happened. Yeah, I mean, Embry-Riddle also has the advantage of being in Daytona Beach. And after my latest winter of eight degrees and shoveling snow <laughs> around my car, you know, I was looking at here in Virginia Tech and I'm like, man, it would be really nice not to have to shovel my car out and deal with the the cold again. Um, so sunshine definitely is, is an advantage. But yeah, no. <laughs> I looked at the 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 track program at Embry Riddle for motorsports engineering. I thought that was really cool. I had just finished up an internship with a a race team up where I was living. Um, got involved with a couple of the motorsports clubs on campus. You know, really started to look at it seriously. Got connected with some some industry professionals, and you know, really made the decision that um, racing is a really, really tough business. And sometimes the business model really defies logic. And I just sort of was thinking, you know, the more and more I do this, I'm doing this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The, the, the market itself is pretty volatile. Um, it kind of became less fun. So it was like, you know, my, my passion became a job and that's not really what I wanted to do. And, you know, a lot of the people that I had worked with, 
um, on the race team and even grew up racing with, we're just successful entrepreneurs. You know, those people, you can race at the highest level of sports car racing as a successful entrepreneur. Um, so I just kind of said, Hey, that'd be really cool. I would really like to own my own company and kind of follow that route. Then I can kind of have fun, but at the same time, it's just not taxing and I'm not trying to do this to put food on the table. So I had this project, I switched to the biomechanics track, um, because I had the, the, the knee brace project going on. Uh, I, I swore that, um, I swore that I would never get into healthcare. Everybody in my family's into healthcare and here I am. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's uh, how, it's funny how things work out sometimes. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, uh, it's almost time for our lightning round, but, uh, we're okay. going to do a quick, uh, promo, uh, if, uh, you can just hang tight with us for a minute. February 16th through the 22nd, 2020 is National Engineers Week. We're celebrating our Embry-Riddle engineers by focusing on you on our social media channels. We'll be highlighting student projects, exceptional alumni, and testing your skills with questions from your favorite professors. You can participate by sending a photo with a life or career update to alumni at erau.edu. And be sure to follow the Office of Alumni Engagement on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find links to all those pages on our website, alumni.erau.edu. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, Mike, are you ready for our lightning round? I think so. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So you're you're not a pilot, correct? No, I'm not a pilot. Okay. You're the first one we've had on the podcast that's not a pilot, uh, but I really appreciate um, the first uh, question in the lightning round is going to be a bit revised for you. Sure. Um, if you could, since you have a motorsports background, if you could race any car on any racetrack, uh, what would you do? Ooh, really good question there. Um, so in 2008, there was a, um, Porsche had an LMP2 racing program and it was run by Penske, um, they actually beat the, the, the juggernauts, which were Audi at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd probably drive that car, uh, LMP2 car pretty fast track wise. It would have to be a tie between Laguna Seca over in California or spa over in Belgium. Oh, great choices. Great choices. Um, if you could read, uh, only one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm. Well, um, let me think about that. I don't know. I really liked Moneyball and the Blind Side. Both were, I, I thought were really good. So they kind of have the right amount of education and entertaining both. So I, I would have to say it's a tie between both. All right. Uh, who's your favorite cartoon character of all time? You know, I've never actually given that much thought. <laughs> That's why it's a tricky question. Although some people are like really quick with an answer on this one. It surprises me. I think. Hmm. Man, I'm drawing a blank on this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we'll give that one a pass then. Um, okay. If you can. I don't get uh, an ask the audience on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, all right, so picture in your mind uh, your ideal grilled cheese sandwich. You're about to take a bite out of it. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. um, what's in that sandwich? Cheese. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> no. Right. Um, well, what kind of cheese? What kind of bread? Any other, anything else? Or are you 
You know, there's this restaurant um, over in Deland. It's like in an old converted house, mm-hmm. and I swear they make the best grilled cheese sandwich. But they put it's on sourdough. They have, I think it's like, it's like cheddar, Swiss, and a couple of different other cheeses. But they also put apple butter on it, and the apple butter is really what makes the difference. So yeah. Oh, fabulous! Is the mm-hmm. apple butter on the outside? No, no, it's on, on, the, inside. on the inside. Yeah, interesting. All right. Uh, if you could live as a week for any person in history, who would it be? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think I'll go with my uh, one of my role models, Dean Kamen. So Dean, Dean uh, invented the insulin pump. Uh, he's he also invented the Segway. So I think it'd be pretty cool to to be him. He's been an inventorship in this, and was sort of my original role model. So it'd be it'd be really neat to be him. Excellent choice. All right. Well, thanks very much, Mike, for joining us for the Talent Talks podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. The Talent Talks podcast is a production of Wicked Radio and the Embry-Riddle Office of Alumni Engagement. We're coming at you from the Maury Hosseini Student Union at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time.